The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Allison. Yes? We're not doing a Witch Digger show tonight. Oh. But I do have an update, a little update. They filled it in? The what, the hole? Yeah. <laughs> we are searching for the hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> grow up. I know. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. I, I get it. I can't. I can't. You can't. Your storage hole in the backyard, by the way, is a huge hit. People want to see photos. I've been kind of putting them off. So there's really not much to see. It looks like a circle in the ground with a cinder block blocking up the place where you It's might, really classy. You, <laughs> you can tell ankle. from the description. It's super classy. It's not as – there's really not much to see is what I have you know, have been relating to people. You don't dream to imagine. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very is that Is that the phrase? <laughs> I think so. The update is a couple updates. The BFRO guy mm-hmm. who they called out to do the investigation originally, mm-hmm. he's a listener and a patron. Oh, wow. So I might be able to get my hands on that audio. We'll see. Also, I think now the count's up to four other people from that area have contacted me and said they have stories to tell. It's got to be pretty much the entire region. <laughs> Things to show me. Yeah, I mean, how how it's, many? It's fairly rural, right? Yeah, yeah. So thank you, everyone, for contacting me. If you do live in that area of southern Indiana and you have stories, I'm going to be out there in March. I'd love to get the stories beforehand. If not, when I'm out there, I'll try to make time to meet up with everybody and get these stories because I'm a completist and I don't know. Whatever. Because <laughs> you want to hear them. Yeah, <laughs> got to catch them all. And, and I really want to make something of this. I think it's going to probably be my next book. Well, my next paranormal book. My next book is The Hermits. It will be a book in my future. Let's put it that way. On tonight's show, I will be talking with Sierra. She's got some stories of like some hauntings, some presences, like I guess some kind of spirit presence, messages from dead relatives, and more. But before we get to her stories, let's thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for everything you do to support Strange Familiars. Thank you for your help. We could not and would not do Strange Familiars without your help. 
If you like Strange Familiars and you'd like to get extra content and help us make the show, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly shows, plus extra shows every month. I'm working on one this month that some on-site stuff, mm-hmm. rather creepy experience in Hex Hollow. I talk about another experience I had when I was up by Toad Road with Octavian, and then I found this really cool little creek valley that I didn't even know existed. It's kind of like wedged in the hills up there above Toad Road, the Helm Hills up there. In the Wildcat area? So is it near, uh, is it near Wildcat Falls kind of? Nah. Near-ish. It's, it's a lot closer to Toad Road. Okay. So many wildcats. I did some recording there. So it'll be at least half an episode of on-site stuff. If it's not enough to fill the whole episode, I think we have a little something extra to add to it. That'll be the patron show for February. I'm working on that now. Last month, patrons got extra Witch Diggers content with Tyler and John and you and me. In any case... If you want to be a patron, you want to help us out, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars, or there is an option on Apple Podcasts as well. It's called Patron of the Strange. If you join there, you get the weekly shows without commercials and the extra episodes monthly as well. Also, at the top of the show, I always mention this on the outro, but I should mention that for Strange Familiars merch, you can always go to strangefamiliars.com slash merch. That's the place to find Strange Familiars merch, and that way you know you're getting official stuff and not some cheap knockoff stuff. And I have seen some knockoff shirts that were awful. I have seen them as well. Yeah. I reported them. (laughs) They were bad. Like, the quality was awful. I would be ashamed to sell those. Our shirts, at this point, they're all 100% silkscreen printed. They're printed by my friend Sage at Forest Passage Printing. He does an excellent job, super professional printer. I mean, those black dog shirts, I didn't even know that could be done, the way he reproduced that black and white drawing on that shirt. It it just looks beautiful to me. I'm always super happy with Sage's work. If you can make me look at a white shirt and go, I think I could wear that. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, 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 a, that's a big leap. So all of our shirts are printed by our friend, professionally printed, and you're getting them from us when you get them at strangefamiliars.com. Slash helps merch. us and helps another small business, which isn't. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we try to do. Wherever possible, we try to work with our friends, John at Riverbend, riverbendcomics.com, one big happy family. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get to these stories with Sierra. I'd like to welcome Sierra to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Well, it sounds like you've got a few things to share with us from the email we shared. So as best as you can and as comfortable as you are, and you can be general with this, can you tell us about when and and where this happened? Okay. Well, there are several experiences to begin with. I unfortunately do not have any flannel man encounters or any Bigfoot encounters. Well, I won't kick you off. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. There's a variety of stuff that has happened throughout my life, but I I kind of put together a timeline of just from the beginning when I was a a child to present day, and they will kind of overlap in a way. But to start, 
I wanted to share a bit of information that I feel like might be of interest to some of your listeners. There's been research done by the Windbridge Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but they do research on mediumship. And their head researcher, Julie Beischel, she's published a couple of papers about mediumship in general. And there's a huge overlap of people who have high adverse childhood experience scores, as well as autoimmune diseases and people who experience anomalous phenomena. Really? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. The research is really fascinating. Windbridge Institute is a wonderful establishment for a lot of things that are on the cusp of, I guess, parapsychical and paranormal. It's hard to get grants for that type of thing. I imagine been, it is, yeah. They've been doing it. So as a child, at least in my first few years, I would say that I, I scored decently on the adverse childhood experience scale, unfortunately, but I, it feels like a kind of a Goldilocks amount. So just to be clear, and, and I'm not asking for details, is this, when you say adverse childhood experience, you mean other than paranormal experiences? Other than paranormal experiences, it's basically talking about like if you've experienced any sort of decent amount of trauma okay, or, or PTSD. And we don't need to go into detail, but to establish like there seems to be a sweet spot with that, unfortunately. Sweet spot might not be the word for it. Yeah. I digress. <laughs> so around the the age of three, two, just in background, my great-grandmother ended up taking me in to raise me from the custody of my parents. And um, around age 14, I actually started to live with her daughter, my grandmother, all on my maternal side. This will be relevant later, but I just thought I'd preface with that. Also, prefacing with I've never had sleep paralysis in my life. I'm not really going to talk about dreams or anything very much, but I've anything that I've experienced when I've been in bed, I've been fully awake for. Interesting. Now. Being said, disassociation as a kid due to some of the stuff in childhood led to some weird states, weird experiences. I was quite a space cadet growing up. An only child as well, kind of sheltered. So what else is there to do but stare at walls anyway? <laughs> but, you know, as all... All scary stories start at about age five or so. My grandmother, my great grandmother, and I moved into house, and it was to become my childhood home. And the phenomena that I can remember back to starts with a closet, liminal spaces in our house, houses and homes. So my closet was a walk-in closet. I had my toys and dress-up toy chest in my closet. I didn't have any brothers or sisters to play with, so I would just play in my closet with the light on as a, a tiny kid. And it, it was a fun space, a, a safe space for me. At night, it was a little different. I felt like something was there. I would feel a presence, I guess, or, or just this force coming from that area in my room when I would be laying down to go to bed. Mm -hmm. And it bothered me enough and consistently enough where my grandmother got tired of me putting up a fuss about it. We had one of those over-the-door coat hangers, and there were some clothes and things hanging on that, and she would just explain it away, trying to comfort me. Like, oh, it's just the coats. It's just your, you know, your bathrobe. Don't don't worry about it. Nothing's there. And I didn't 
have the vocabulary really to explain that what I was feeling was more ethereal than actually tangible or or something visibly there. Yeah. So that just felt off to me, but I just had to let it go. I didn't know what else to do. So the house itself I grew up in, that wasn't the only thing. I would feel other presences in the house as well. I don't really know how to describe it, but for some reason, somehow, I've always been able to place presences inside of a home. And I would be sitting on the couch in the living room playing my Game Boy, and something would get my attention out of the corner of my eye. And it's not seeing in a visible kind of way, but it is seeing, uh, it's just like a felt sense of something is there. And it, it felt like something was watching me from the hallway that led to my room. To the point where I'd end up staring at it. It felt like it, whatever it was, was staring at me. It was a terrible staring contest. Nobody won. It just was very uncomfortable. And uh, I kind of questioned if it was just me or if I was seeing things. But th- there were other things, too, that I now know are a little more telltale Things would randomly disappear in my house for a few days and then reappear in very obvious places that I had already looked. My grandmother, my great-grandmother was not someone who would just take things and hide them and then put them out for fun. Uh-huh. That would be kind of a weird thing for an old woman to do anyway. Yeah. But... yeah. Hey, I'm going to mess with my great-granddaughter. <laughs> Another pretty disturbing thing that I didn't realize until I was older. I would wake up at 3 a.m. approximately almost every night, and I would have to calm myself down and go back to sleep. It would never be nightmares or anything, but I would just be wide awake around three for years straight. Uh My sleep is a lot better now, but I I do think it was the house. A couple of other more specific instances, there was this baker's rack in the kitchen that had some metal utensils hanging off of hooks at the end of it, and if you bumped into it or walked by it, quickly enough, you would be able to hear the utensils brush against each other and kind of clang together. One day, my grandmother and I, we were taking a nap, and my house was kind of a U-shape with my bedroom at one end of the U and her bedroom at the other. And I heard the baker's rack sound like she was in the kitchen. It was loud enough to wake me up. I thought she was sleeping, so I woke up and I walked to her room, and she was. She was dead asleep. And I woke her up and I asked if she had just been in the kitchen and she said no and was very confused as to why I was asking why and I let her know what I heard. Couldn't quite explain it away, but she just comforted me and let me know to not worry about it. That and towards the end of the house where my bedroom was, there was another bedroom right next to my door and my grandmother had turned that into her office. There was the air intake for the house HVAC system And so if you walked by the air intake when it was on, you could hear a shift because of the person passing by. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, if my grandmother was working in her office and I was asleep in bed and both of our doors were open, I could see her enter and exit the office because of the light and her shadow on the wall. So I'm laying in bed. I'm supposed to be asleep. I can't fall asleep. My house is haunted. Go figure. I hear something walk down the hallway towards my room, knowing that she's still in her office. The air intake shifts, and it stops. 
right past where my my door would be. And I know that I did not just see her get up and exit the office. And at this point, I'm paralyzed in fear. I don't know what to do. So I take a moment. I gather all of the courage I can and I get up and I go into the office and she's sitting at her desk. And I ask her if she got up to do anything to exit the room at all. And she said no. And I don't think I even bothered explaining to her what just happened at this point just because I was in disbelief. So she put me back to bed and, you know, that was that was it. So that was just the foundation of experiencing things. Right, right. And I think sometimes maybe for the listener, when you're not seeing things, they might be thinking, well, so what? But this obviously left an impression on you enough where you have remembered these events from your childhood. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem like if it was just nothing, you know, it was just the house creaking. It doesn't seem like these events would would stick in your head that much, right? Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, my great-grandmother, we had a quiet household. I was a very shy kid. I didn't make a lot of noise. I played by myself in my room. I knew how to behave. It was like I had all of the time in the world when time moves so slow when you're a child to memorize every little sound of your house. And the fact that I knew her footsteps coming down the hallway and the lilt in which she walked. Like, I, I knew that this was not, something was off. Right, yeah. It did throw me in, off enough to remember it for my whole lifetime so far. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a creaky old farmhouse, but I don't remember every time the house creaked. In other, you know what I mean? I remember some incidences from my childhood that stick out to me, but it's not the, the, the creaks. That's what I'm trying to impress on people. Like, this is obviously something a little more intense than just some noises you heard as a kid. Yeah, and being skeptical is important for sure. It helps us separate out the real phenomena versus things that can be explained by other happenings. But unless you're there, you don't really know like the person who has been experiencing things. So yeah, of course, as a preteen, it got worse. As it tends to do. Yeah, preteen girls, you know, the preteens in general, we just attract a lot of energy. We're in that liminal space of aging and being between childhood and adulthood and the extreme intense emotions and hormones. Uh-huh. And around age 12, my, my closet that was previously my playroom had kind of turned into just like a safe space that I would go to sit in and journal if I was upset. Or I'd like close myself in there if I wanted space, if I was really upset. That's, I don't know. It sounds a little weird, but it made sense. It was the furthest away I could get from anybody in my household. Yeah. So I don't know what happened this day, why I was so upset. A lot of stuff was churning in my life outside of me around the age of 12. It was a hard year, but I know that I went into my closet and I was upset and I closed the door and I was crying. And on the inside of the closet door, I had a, a full length mirror that hooked over the door and uh, I wasn't able to hold space for my anger very well. It doesn't really get taught to, to kids very well, unfortunately. So I zoned out a bit after getting angry and crying and I realized that I was holding my own gaze in this mirror. I don't know how you feel about mirrors, Tim. Some people don't have any issue with them. 
I have a problem with them and probably will for the rest of my life because of this experience. But I became a little disassociated due to what I was going through. My eyes had become a focal point in the mirror and after a few moments things started to shift in the mirror. This sounds pretty unbelievable. It's a little vulnerable to share, but I think it's important. My eyes started to change as well as the the backdrop of what was behind me in the mirror. It felt like things started to move and eventually I realized whatever was staring back from the mirror, from my eyes to me, did not feel like myself. It didn't feel like me at all. There was a presence that it had that felt palpable. It felt negative. In my preteen angst, I did the stupidest thing I could probably have done. And I said, if you're real, if you exist, then go ahead and attach to me. I don't care. Oh, wow. I don't care. I'm done here. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Go ahead. I dare you. Yeah, don't do not do that, listeners. <laughs> wow. I know now not to do that. I thought you were going to say, I did the I did the dumbest thing I could do. I whipped out a Ouija board. I was like, and then you went worried. Like, what did she say? It's like worse than that. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I was raised in the Baptist church. Uh-huh. I am not Baptist anymore. <laughs> I wasn't sure that anything like that was actually real. I didn't have a lot of exposure to paranormal stuff. I thought, you know, maybe this is just me, but I now know that that's not the case and things can attach to you. At least that's my belief. And um, that was not a very wise thing of me to do. And so I kind of came back to myself, calmed myself down. I, I questioned what had just happened, but I wasn't exactly sure. There was no immediate residual effect. But after that, things in my house did get worse quite a bit worse. Before we move on from this, you're looking in the mirror, you see things change. Is there a big change? Like, are you looking at something that do- that looks nothing like you anymore? Or is it a, more of a subtle thing? It's subtle. Like, I, the, the reflection in the mirror is myself. It is me. My eyes are me. The background is me. The background, you know, just the dresser in my closet itself feels like It's a little wavy, a little shimmery, for lack of a better description. The presence that was in my own eyes and the reflection felt different. Uh I, I don't know how else to describe it, but if you see something that is like crab walking across the ceiling in a horror movie, uh huh. If you could take the somatic experience of that and put it just in a presence of something and a glance and a look. That's kind of the very uncomfortable feeling that this thing had. Okay. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It was not it was not positive. And my rational brain has tried to explain it away as, you know, well, maybe it was just an archetype of anger since I wasn't able to hold anger that showed up mm-hmm. and, you know, split from me for a moment. And that's what I was seeing, where I was so disassociated that it it seemed like I was disembodied and I was just seeing the reflection of my anger. I don't believe that that's the case now. And 
that will get explained later. Okay. Do you have any more questions? No, no, no. I was just curious, like, like, like visually, what was happening there, and that. So yeah. yeah, yeah, things started getting worse. They did start to get worse. The presences in my house that I was already feeling started to get stronger feeling. I do want to clarify that it didn't feel like a ghost at all. Just that it was not ghostly. I don't know if that matters or not, but the presences in my house were getting worse and the external circumstances as well in my life started to grow even more intense. My great-grandmother passed away when I was 14, the first week of high school. Oh, wow. So, what a time. Wow. Yeah, she was essentially the the person who raised me, my mother figure. And she was the real parent in my life. My parents were dealing with their own things at the time and still not available or around. So there was great grief as well. Sure. She had lived in the house. She didn't die in the house, but still, it was a hard time. I would start to feel things sit on my bed in my room. I feel kind of like I was a beacon for some reason. I would feel my sheets move at night, and I would try to be extremely still so I knew or can confirm that it wasn't me moving slightly, that it was moving the sheets. And I did my best, and it still was something that was happening in a way that I could not explain. It got so bad that I couldn't sleep in the dark with the lights off. I know Allison has had her own oh yeah, reasons for not being able to sleep in the dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, since she was a child. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was really hard. I... After I kind of dismissed my background with Christianity, I, I was asking questions that my Sunday school teachers couldn't answer anymore, and that just wasn't cutting it for me. The only other thing as a person being raised Christian in a place like Texas, if you're not Christian, then you kind of explore the occult. So <laughs> I had set up altars in every corner of my room and ended up just burning candles and in a safe way to keep my room illuminated all night at least long enough until I could fall asleep and try and kind of just set up a protective area for myself. Mm -hmm. Are you still in the same house? No, no, I have not been in that house, nor does my family own it anymore since I was about 18, 19. So it's been just about a decade. I mean, at this point in the story, though, are you still in that in that same house. Oh, am I still in the house at that point in the story? Yeah. When my great-grandmother passed away, my grandmother was just renting somewhere. So she moved into my childhood home to take care of me. Yep. And my grandmother was not a very emotionally stable person. She was somewhat emotionally abusive, unfortunately. It was not a good situation for me on top of what had already happened. There, there was a reason that I didn't live with her first. Mm -hmm. And I guess this would be a good spot to interject the the after-death communication that I had mentioned in the email. It, it was from my great-grandmother around this time. I was in my room in my childhood home, and it didn't feel very safe to express a lot of my grief in the surroundings that I had at the time. But I just needed a moment to cry. And I finally let myself do so in my room. I would say I was about between 14 and 15 at this time. And heightened emotions. I am just weeping 
from one of the deepest places in my core processing this shift in my life. And I feel someone walk into my room, for lack of a better description. It's kind of like if you're sitting at a desk doing work or working on a computer and someone walks in a room behind you and you're so familiar with somebody's energy and their presence, you know who it is without having to hear them or turn around. It was that. It was her. She was there. And again, another metaphor. If you're in a supermarket and you hear the pop music playing overhead as you compare prices of cereal and all of a sudden someone comes on a loudspeaker and makes an announcement about a sale that they're having in the store, it it was like that. Like the thoughts in my head were the terrible pop music and there was a loudspeaker moment of a voice that wasn't mine and it felt like her coming and interrupting my thoughts. And she delivered a message for me and delivered a message for my grandmother and I just stopped in shock and looked in the direction that I felt her presence in just listened I paused and took in what she had to say and then she was gone and I thought again I am crazy like if this is not actually real and it's just my grief or whatever else then fine but I'm still going to sit and write this down because if it's not, this is a beautiful experience that I need to remember and appreciate. So I I wrote it down and it, it was just a general message of, you know, I'm here with you. I love you. Please, you know, continue your life. Don't be sad because I'm by your side. And, and for my grandmother, she addressed my grandmother's depression and a few other things with her, encouraging her to continue to shift and work on her life. And I shared it with my grandmother and she took it the best she could. I don't think she quite believed me, but I was used to that by now. About a year or so after that, my mom just moves in. She she's trying to get stable and on her feet. And my mom and my grandmother don't have a great relationship and so the house environment itself gets even more intense with emotions and relational dynamics. But my mom moves into the bedroom right next to mine, which is my grand study. And my mom loves watching TV. She is a TV junkie. She had a little black and white tube television in her room set up with an antenna. And I remember one day the TV started to fritz out. And I don't know what she was watching, but the show stopped. And it started repeating her name over and over again, going Kelly, 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 Kelly. And she starts freaking out. She doesn't know what's happening. I can hear it from my room. I get up and go in the next room and I check in and say, what's going on? You know, what's happening? Why is the TV doing this? And she responds with, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I was just watching TV. I didn't press anything. So, of course, we unplug it. We plug it back in, see if that fixes anything. And it doesn't. It continues to stay on the same station, on the same word, repeating her name over and over again. And at this point, my grandmother walks in. She doesn't know what's going on. There's a bunch of commotion. She asks what's happening and we relay, you know, look, look at the TV. It just keeps repeating her her name. Like, we don't know what to do. We tried to turn it off and she just kind of shrugs and she's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's, 
that is what's happening. And I just have this vivid memory of all three of us standing and staring at the TV in this room to the point where we can't take it anymore and we unplug the TV for the rest of the day. Wow. Which is rare. Rare for my mom. So. Yeah. And an old like kind of tube TV set isn't going to glitch out the way, not not that it would, it would still be weird if, you know, someone was watching Netflix or some kind of streaming thing and it happened, but weirder, I think, with an old TV set like that. Yeah. And I think the added synchronicity of it pausing during a TV show on her name specifically, uh-huh. it's a little extra. Yeah. 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 It still creeps me out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At this point, I'm about 15, and things are so tumultuous at home. I I cannot stand it anymore. I'm very depressed, and it's just not a good environment for me at my house. So I am gone as much as possible. I end up just couch surfing, and I'm, I'm working at this point, and I end up at a friend's house, my friend Trey and Brittany, for, for most of the rest of high school, I'm there. And their mom had gotten remarried. They live in a town home. And so she moved in with her new husband, and it was just the two of them. His older sister, Brittany, was in college at the time. So we were tame for high school. <laughs> we, we were house cats. We stayed home a lot. But their townhouse was maybe built in the 60s. It wasn't too terribly old, but I would either sleep on the couch downstairs or sometimes I would sleep in the master bedroom upstairs. And I was there for several months and I I kept feeling two presences in the home. One was an old man downstairs. He was very angry. Curmudgeonous is a nice word for it. He was not a fan of us being there. He did not like us. I don't know how to tell you how I know that. I just do. Mm -hmm. And upstairs again, sleeping in the master bedroom, their their mom's old room, I would feel someone sit on the edge of the bed and it, it felt like a lady, like an older woman. She was very sad. She wanted attention. She wanted to be noticed. Just had this heavy feeling to her. And after an enough time there, I ended up telling Trey and Brittany what I felt. I don't know what compelled me, but I remember telling them about the old man and the old lady and their locations and the way that they felt to me. And Brittany's jaw dropped. There was a friend of hers that I had never met before named Ellen that had told her the same thing about a week before. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I was shocked. Ellen had been able to pick up on stuff most of her life. She uh, was a practicing sort of occult pagan person. I ended up meeting her about a week later after this came out, and we just kind of collaborated on what we both felt, and we were we were both in shock. It confirmed a lot of things for the both of us. So I don't remember if it was a church or a paranormal investigation team that came out, but someone came out to look at the house to possibly help whatever was there move along. And they did confirm presences in the house. And I think one of the people that came to take a look at things did did see an apparition of some sort, but they refused to come back. And I think that that is because my friend Trey at the time was studying occult things as well. And he had a bunch of books in his room. I feel like might have warded off people coming to look at presences on a house. Kind of like, oh, what are you guys doing to bring things here? Like, maybe this is something that you've just been poking around. Right. Kind of felt a little like they were blaming the goth kids. If we wanted to summon an old lady and an old man to, to haunt the house, we would be able to get rid of them too, I, I think. But that wasn't the case. So your friends were experiencing things too? Yeah. I called my friend Trey just to talk about things a few weeks ago to make sure I was getting the story straight. And he reminded me that the door closest to the presence downstairs that I felt would open on its own, as well as some of the kitchen drawers and cabinets, which I, I do remember happening now. And it was bothersome to have to go close them. I remember walking very quickly through that space to just do it and get it over with and move on with our day. And they're still there to this day in the townhouse, and there's still funkiness going on. The Trey's partner picks up on the presence downstairs, especially. It's pretty strong. But after that, I mean, we just, we didn't know what to do. So we just kind of let them be and ignored it as much as possible. And my friend's friend, Ellen, ended up quitting her pagan practices and reverted back to Catholicism because she got so scared. So I think it's interesting how many people I know that have from the occult back to Catholicism, but there is definitely a link there, as I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a discussion for another time, but the the paranormal was a big part of my path back, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first time, really, like that experience in that house to have somebody else come and confirm something that you've seen in such a detail that is so similar to what you explained. Right, yeah. I, you know, growing up in my own home with so much turmoil in my family and my own big emotions, and I, I just questioned myself quite a bit. I'm like wondering if I am crazy or like legitimately crazy. I don't say that lightly. And that was a very unnerving thing to have to seriously wonder about as a teenager. <laughs> but seeing things in somebody else's house and have it be confirmed was confirming for me that I, maybe it's not just me. Right. Yeah. Maybe this is something real. So I graduated high school about a week after I turned 17. 
And I had been wanting to get out of Texas for a very, very long time. And so I, I tried. I had some friends that I had made that were moving back to Georgia, and I traveled with them out of state. I ended up between the ages of 17 to maybe 20, 21, uh, hitchhiking and, and traveling through the country from Texas, Georgia, Colorado, Montana, California, Oregon, and eventually settling into Washington. And I've heard one of your listeners say previously in an interview that being in a liminal space of traveling where you don't know where you're going to be sleeping each night or who you're going to meet or what you're going to run into or what food you're going to be eating later. Although it's not everybody's cup of tea, it allows for more liminal things to happen to you. And I do feel like that is very true. A lot of the things that I experienced on the road, the synchronicities, the things that popped up exactly when I needed them, you're living with a sense of faith that things are going to happen the way that they need to be. And it's amazing what comes your way. That being said, I did eventually end up settling in Washington, I think around 2013. I remember it was the year that uh, that we got legalized here. Very big year for Washington. And I ended up settling here with a partner that I had met on the road. I remember we were at a friend's house her apartment. It was a, a big group of us. There was a, a group that had went back to her bedroom to partake in smoking a bowl. And my partner and I were in the living room and just decided to not partake. And we were listening to music. There was a weird sort of L-shaped sectional in the living room. And I don't know if you're familiar with the sort of octopus lights from the early thousands, they have like five different bendy arms in your oh, yeah. position. Yeah, like those guys. There was one of those in the corner of the living room, and it was just my partner and I. For some reason, I had gone to turn the music down or switch the song or something on the stereo in the living room, and I felt something come down the hallway, and I turned and I looked, and it was presence that I couldn't see I felt it, though. I could track it coming down the hallway and into the living room. And I don't know exactly why, but it felt very similar to the entity, for lack of a better word, that I saw in the mirror when I was a teen. Uh -huh. It wanted to communicate with me or maybe use me as a channel. I'm not exactly sure how I know that. It was just a sensation, and I immediately, my hackles went up, and it, it was a no. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not available for that. Absolutely not. I just walled up and shut down the best I could. It was unnerving. And as it came around the corner of the couch, and I was shutting myself down for any sort of available mediumship, for lack of a better term, this presence, I guess, decided to go to my partner. He had never had a history of seizures. There were no neurological conditions going on. But in front of my eyes, just a moment after I had denied whatever this was access to me, he started to convulse on the couch in front of me. Uh -huh. And 
this sounds just absolutely absurd and I still have a hard time with this, but the moment he started to convulse on the couch, the lamp in the corner started to pulse on and off and on and off and on and off again in a very consistent manner that I have not seen before or since to this day. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was happening. A moment after his convulsions, his body went limp on the couch. His head was to the side. And again, it was like a horror movie in real life. Slowly, his eyes opened and his head from the side started to turn. Like it was on a gear, almost. Like clicks. Click, 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 click. Until he faced me. And his eyes, for the second time in my life, I saw something stare back through somebody else's eyes that was not them. It was something else. There was a texture and a presence to this thing that had appeared in him. And it was cold. It was... I don't know how to describe it. It was not a ghost. It was not the archetype of anger that I couldn't contain as a teen. Archetypes don't make lights pulse in the living room. The whole time this is happening, the lights are still going on and off. And I panic. I'm frozen and then I panic. And I don't know what else to do because nobody's taught you what to do in a situation like this. We don't talk about this stuff. So I do the the best thing I know how to do. It's some new age sort of stuff. But I, I walk up to him on the couch that he's sitting on and I put my hand on his heart and I say, you cannot be here. You have to go. There is only love and only light allowed here. You need to leave now. Looking into the eyes of this thing that is not my partner and I see it register what I'm saying. And it's like light going out in something. If you've ever watched an animal die, it was similar to that. The energy in my partner in the room shifted. My partner convulsed again on the couch. I take a step back and just watch what's happening. The lights are still going on and off this whole time. The experience itself is maybe three minutes or less. And then my partner comes to the moment he stops convulsing. The the light stops too. And he he looks at me like a normal person, not like a horror movie, and is very confused as to why I'm panicking and just a foot away from him and freaking out. And I'm sure I wasn't conveying things very well, but he didn't understand what had just happened, nor did he really believe me. He had some missing time. He didn't remember anything that had just happened. But it wasn't a lot of missing time, so I feel like maybe it would have been easy for him to explain away, and I just got dismissed. And I feel like it almost wasn't real, didn't happen, but I know like the lights, the electricity strobing like that is what convinces me that that's a physical thing outside of myself. It's not just something that I'm sensing. It happened. That's my confirmation. Was it not in his nature to believe that sort of thing? Or do you think he was 
it just didn't want to because it involved him. You know, it was like sort of an intimate experience. Like, nah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that kind of thing. I believe that it was in his nature to honor and agree that those type of things could happen. He was a pretty magically minded person, kind of new age as well. But I think it just sounded so extreme that he didn't believe it or maybe there was the added fact of that it had to do with him that he didn't want to believe that had just happened to him mm-hmm. was he prone to, to seizures and such thing no nope he had no history of seizures no neurological conditions at all mm-hmm. and that's also something that made that experience pretty unexpected and unnerving yeah and just the timing of everything. Sure, lights can strobe. Sure, someone maybe might have a seizure for the first time in their life. All of those things together, including me picking up on something weird in the house, that's a different story. Right, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention too, in my friend's house previously with the old woman and the old man, I did get confirmation that there was an old woman who had lived in the house and died in the house as well to further back that up a bit. But after this experience with my partner, I I got scared. I stopped wanting to really pay attention to the things that were around me, paranormal or psychical or otherwise. I was still curious about trying to cultivate skills and and abilities within myself, but it's not like you can kind of pick and choose what you're working with. Like if you're going to develop a relationship with the other, you can't just, you know, say, I'm going to see these things and play with these things and experiment with these things, but I'm going to close myself off completely to this other stuff. Right, right. Yeah. It's not like that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. You can't just can't go out there. Well, I mean, some people do, but, uh, I think they're suppressing a lot if they're experiencing anything else. But, you know, you, you can't just be like, oh, I only want to experience Bigfoot and uh, not experience anything else. You're, in my experience, anyway, you're going to it's going to come with other things. Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting and trying to do meditations or whatever to see more UFOs and you start to experience weird poltergeist like phenomena in your household, like it's all interconnected yeah yeah it certainly feels that way yeah yeah i mean from what i've heard and what i've personally experienced like this is all interwoven in a way that we don't understand and maybe never will but it is hard so i you know i would still do stuff like meditate or try and work with my breath some just get into my body or experiment with altered states listening to certain music and that was interesting and fun for a while. I had a roommate a bit later after the experience of unintentional channeling or mediumship, I'll call it kindly, who I don't know if it's because we were pretty close friends or or what it is, but he would hear my thoughts sometimes from the other room. Like I would sit and type out something on the computer and I didn't quite know how to to spell it so I'd spell it in my head and I would hear him holler from the other room what did you just say Hmm. did you say this and no I I didn't say anything actually I I just typed something into the computer but I was really focusing on it 
and and I spelled it out and he would spell out what I had just said and I would be again flabbergasted of like okay yeah yep you heard that just things like that I don't know if I'm a projector of some sort I've had other experiences too with partners or, or friends of mine that are similar in nature but I don't know I just I shut most everything down after a while it was too much I got too scared I'm at the point now, though, that I'm trying to open up my relationship to the other again in a better and more boundaried way. Mm-hmm. It's important to me. So that's a very condensed version of okay. many of my stories. So do you feel the thing that you invited in against any advice? <laughs> any Anyone would probably uh, say, don't do that. But do you feel that it was then with you? Like, do you feel that was the reason or part of the the mix that made up these other experiences going forward? I do feel like this thing that I dared to attach to me was with me for several years. And I do feel like it was part of the phenomena that I was experiencing, at least in my childhood home. Mm -hmm. I do not think that it's responsible for all of the things that I've experienced. I believe there is a palpable difference between echoes of something that has happened in a space that you pick up on repeating in a home or people who have passed away and died that you're you're picking up on. Maybe they haven't fully passed on. And then the thing that I dared to attach to me it didn't feel like either of those it felt like an entity of some sort and this is where it gets pretty woo (laughs) knowing what i know now compared to when i was younger and doing a lot more reading and research on things i'm wondering if it's something that lies between spaces dimensions of sorts. I don't know if it was, I don't like the term extraterrestrial for a lot of reasons, but uh, for lack of better vocabulary, just something not of this plane. And I don't know if it's because of the emotions that I was having at the time that it identified with and felt drawn to when I would express them, but that's when it would seem to pop up again, often when I was upset or angry, kind of like symbiotic parasitic kind of relationship Mm -hmm. and do you feel there was a time where you specifically separated from this thing and maybe was it the time with your partner when you when you said now we're not having this it was shortly after that yeah it was too much and that scared the lights out of me honestly everything about the paranormal and you know, mediumship or psychic abilities or whatever else is fascinating. I would love to be able to have experiences with that. And I've had a couple of positive experiences, like with after-death communication, possibly. But when when you deal with that and you don't have a mentor, you don't have guidance, nobody's there to teach you. We have not a lot of elder figures, for lack of a, a better term, to teach you how to do this safely and well. The best thing I could do was shut down. And after that, I 
I started to do a lot of work on myself and process a lot of the stuff around my my upbringing and childhood too. And I recognize that whatever might still be attached to me, I need to actively cut ties with. And I did my best to do so. And I do think it was effective. I had a friend of mine who was very involved in the occult and it was very well-practiced with doing work with attachments. And I followed her advice and it, it seemed to work. And also understanding the way that an energy like that could be utilized when you're angry or in those spaces. Mm-hmm. It's not just a one-way thing that comes and haunts you, which is what led me to believe that maybe it is just an archetype or a fragment of self for a very long time until electrical things started to happen. Right. And again, there is also research done around poltergeist experiences saying that it, it the majority of them come from the human bioelectric field. I have mixed feelings about that. I do think that there is some truth to it, but I don't think that that's all it is. It's removing a very important part of it and making it a little too scientific. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel similarly about uh, sleep paralysis. It's like, yeah, there is a physical explanation for it. And sometimes I'm sure it is just that, but there's also something else going on there. There's enough stories with enough weirdness where people aren't dreaming and they aren't uh, in in hypnagogic or hypnopompic states to suggest that there's, it's maybe a both end kind of situation. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, sure, our emotions affect our heartbeat and our heart rate and our heart is a giant electrical producer in our body and that can cause things to happen and sure or like uh, the what happened with esther cox her experience i believe you've gone over the story before of her attempted assault and then the the following poltergeist activity and even arson that she was charged with later spontaneous fires would erupt around her and is it is it your trauma or is it ghosts are you haunting yourself right are we haunting our own houses in this way I don't have an answer directly for that for my own experience, but I I do know that I'm not dealing with that entity anymore. Well, that's good. Good to hear. Well, got to ask you the pancake question. Oh, gosh, Tim. (laughs) On the morning of April 18th, 1961, Joe Simonton saw a silver disc land on his farm. He went out, investigated, and stepped aboard the craft. He encountered three dark-skinned humanoids who handed him an empty jug. Joe filled it with water and brought it back to them. In return, they gave him some pancakes. Would you eat the pancake? Uh, I've thought about this. I've been trying to prepare myself for this question. My inner southerner says, hell yeah, I would eat the pancakes. <laughs> you gotta be polite. Yeah, you have to be polite. They made those pancakes and they're trying to share with you. Like, don't be rude. And then when you're done with pancakes, invite them back for dinner. Right. right. House, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, at the same time, there's the uh, the lore around eating fairy food. Right. Yeah. If you if you eat fairy food, you might be stuck in the fairy realm forever. So there's some hesitancy there. I would eat the pancakes. I don't know how I'd find a workaround. I just hope that they have the best intention. They possibly could. Yeah, I keep going back. But the more people give responses, the more I'm like, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. So I don't know. I guess we'll have to see if if I ever get offered. UFO pancakes. I guess I'll have to see at the time. 
So I've gone from a hard no before to now like, well, I'll think about it. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I guess you don't really know until you have pancakes in front of you. There you go. Sierra, thanks so much for sharing your stories. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time. Crime. Stamp it out. It's that easy. <laughs> this is uh, it's like a photograph of a poster, I guess. Is that what it is? Yeah, so I got this whole collection of photographs that are from the mid-30s that I think were probably part of someone doing yearbook work. Okay. But, like, to think of that in the 30s, like this... Yeah, I mean, but, you know, our grandparents had yearbooks. Yeah, I mean, it really would have been about the time of some of my older grandparents, and you're so much older than me, so probably... Probably your brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there are photos of murals that I think... They must have painted for maybe the hallways of the school. Oh, okay. And then there are some that appear to be like from famous movies of the time. There's a Joan Crawford movie in the set. But this one is about crime, and this is from the National Anti-Crime League. And it has a guy who, like, for all the world, has to have that voice. (laughs) He's holding a Tommy gun. Yeah. smoking. Yeah. It's a cool image. Yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a very 30s looking image. Which you're into now. You're into that whole, like... Uh... That's a good thing to, to say. Starting this weekend on Saturday, our new booth will be up at the State Theater Vintage Emporium in Columbia, Pennsylvania, which is where the Albatwitch Festival is. So if you've been to that, this is right up the street. And Columbia is a fantastic little town if you like antiquing or vintage stuff like the whole town is filled with things like that to do like you you could spend the whole day going from antique store to antique store to vintage store besides state theater there's obscure relics which is an awesome little store run by a lady who curates everything herself there are vintage clothing stores there are awesome antique stores what four other antique stores yeah and not little ones either but like large ones it's it's worth going and so and this place, State Theater, looks amazing. I've been watching the progress, and everybody has kind of like their own little store inside of it, and it's got everything from more like pop culture toys to um, higher-end stuff, reclaimed things, and lots of vintage and weird stuff. And it's all in a restored Art Deco theater, which has the most amazing infrastructure still left in it. And your stand, you odd peacock. Mm-hmm is going to be more photos than your other stands have in the past, right? Yeah, I'm going to have photos and a lot of stuff on the wall. And I had some stuff specifically made from our collection onto like an exhibit kind of board and then put that specifically in frames that they were made for. And they look pretty cool. I have to say, I kind of want them for myself. (laughs) These images are amazing. It's one, uh, is it supposed to be Medea? Yeah, it's from like a theatrical production of a, of a woman holding a knife. It's printed in red, and it's in this black and red frame. It looks so cool. I mean, it just looks amazing. And there's another one of a tarot reader that we had. She's got the card spread out in front of her. Stunning. It's just really cool. You got one of a, of a woman riding a broom. Yeah, it's Gabriel Ray. I think she's um, she might actually be Faye Ray's sister. Okay, that makes sense. If you're familiar with... That's Godzilla, right? Bay Ray? King Kong. King Kong. King Kong. 
That's State Theater Vintage Emporium in Columbia, Pennsylvania. It's on Locust Street, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you're up on the second floor. Yep. I think most everybody is, though, right? Isn't that where most everything is? Yeah, you kind of go in and then go to the second floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think people will know your booth. Yeah, you know, yeah. Plus there's some other ones that are... Oh, there's a lot of cool ones. Yeah, there's stuff a lot of cool ones. Yeah. We also have a booth at Black Rose Antiques in Haddenburg. Chad's been promoting that quite a bit. Chad's got wool and axes and knives and... If you've got, if you need an axe to grind, (laughs) he's he's got an axe. He's got it. Although, I mean, he probably has it ground to the perfection as it is. (laughs) We have my books there. We have all manner of other antique stuff. We got some other books from my collection, just ghost books and paranormal books and stuff that I was kind of clearing out, as well as my books. They're there. And what else is there? You've got some uranium glass and stuff like that. Yeah, I got a lot of glass and a lot of cool glassware, Mm -hmm. a lot of framed pictures there, too. That's at Black Rose Antiques in Hanover. Stop by and check it out. You'll know our stand there, too. Look for the axes and wool. (laughs) If you see buffalo plaid, you'll know you're in the right split. Most likely. I'm sure there's some other buffalo plaid somewhere in that. Yeah, it is Hanover. (laughs) Yeah, but you'll see my books and stuff, too. So like 50-50, whether your baby comes out wearing buffalo plaid or not. (laughs) Well, back to this curiosity of the week. It is a photo of this really cool poster It says, crime, stamp it out, from the National Anti-Crime League. I'll take a photo of this photo, and I'll put that photo in the show notes. We're now how many photos removed. In any case, people can (laughs) click on that. It'll take them to our Etsy shop where they can purchase that. And other curiosities of the week, those that are left. Also at Etsy, Strange Familiars t-shirts, mugs, stickers, patches. My books are there. If you get them on Etsy, they come signed. Artwork originals and prints if i did the artwork for tonight's show it should be in there i think i am going to (laughs) i'm going to try to get it done in time and more our etsy shop name is lost grave but if you type in strange familiars you should see our stuff come up anyway there's always links in the show notes as well to our etsy shop anything else else i think that's it i mean if you want a personal tour of the hole in our backyard (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Don't even offer. I'm just kidding. I'm going to shut that one down. I'm just kidding. There's nothing to see, really. Not because, like, I'm against it. It's just there'd be too many requests. It was too popular. It was too popular. The backyard hole was too popular. I mean, I feel like it's something that everyone has. They just don't talk about. I need to make podcasts. (laughs) I can't be hosting backyard hole tours. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't. too much. I'd never get anything done. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. The Strange Familiars Gathering Group is there as well. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, no underscore. You can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com, where you can also find our merch section, strangefamiliars.com slash merch. I will see you in one year and 
one day I will find a way You will know me by the light In my eye and my lonely sigh And if you walk with me a mile You'll find you never Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.